0: Amen and amen. You know, when you say amen, we, th- we do that a lot around here. Everybody says amen. When you say amen, it, it goes something like, the best translation I've ever heard, it goes something like this. This is not in the sermon notes, by the way. This is completed for free. Best translation goes something like this. And that's exactly how we like it. We say amen, like that's exactly how we like it. So that's, amen, amen, that's what we say. Uh, so, uh, how many of you spent any time on a couch yesterday in front of a large illuminated screen? Anybody? Okay, you might have had a particular sport on. Anybody tracking with me here? Did you see, give yourself to any sort of um, college football yesterday? My point in... I didn't even pay him for that. But my point in saying that is to say Danny Armon and uh, Darren are both wearing LSU purple today as they took down... Sorry, Stuart, the Auburn, um, yeah, so I just, sorry about that, um, I, I simply am saying this to say this, like, we, we give ourselves to things that we think are important, right, and uh, LSU football yesterday, at least for these two hooligans, was hugely important, now I have to change my illustration completely for the next service, but I mean in here you get the idea. Like we give ourselves to what's important, I mean, what we consider important. Here's why I'm saying that in particular. Because um, Luke here in chapter 10 and chapter 11 retells this same story twice. Okay, So he's given significant space in Acts 10 and Acts 11 um, to, this particular, um, to this particular set of events. Why is that, do you think? Because it's important. Like, he not only has the the, um, the the narrator, if you will, not only speaks this. He has characters, as we're reading it, tell this story a couple of different times so that we can hear it a couple of different times because he must think that it's really important. And it's today, I think, that we really get it as to why. So here we go in Acts chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 34. You ready? Acts 10 verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth. Okay, so just catching everybody up. Let me just call time out here. Peter opened his mouth, and and this is what he said. Uh, uh, The context goes something like this. Cornelius is a God-fearing Gentile, and he's had a vision, and the vision says, send for Peter. Peter, in the meantime, is having his own vision of this blanket, this sheet coming down with all sorts of food on it, And the the boy says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he's like, no, man, there's unclean stuff on there. I don't do that. He said, don't let anything be called unclean that I have said is clean. Peter's like, glory to God, I get to eat bacon now. Who's with me here? Okay, that was the highlight of last week's message for many of you, I know. So so this is what happens. He ends up in Cornelius' house and um, because Cornelius had sent messengers, Peter goes with them, takes some good brothers along with him, and uh, they have this kind of moment. And here, we're picking up on this moment in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Amen, and amen to that. But in every nation, anyone who fears him, And when we say nation, that's a it's a special kind of Greek word. It's ethne, maybe ethnicity, is something like that. So a different people. But in every kind of people, um, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. So just pause here. Peter's catching everybody up going, okay, now you've heard about this, right? Everybody. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. We've all heard about this as he's unfolding the story here. I want to notice uh, this, this particular thing as we kind of walk this out in three different um, uh, points today. The, the first thing is that he starts with the gospel. And I think that's needed to say out loud for you and for me. Always, wherever we are, when we get a chance to open our mouths and speak for what the kingdom of God is and what it's like, who God is and what He's like, start with the gospel. It is the clearest revelation of who God is and what He has done for us. There are some awesome passages in the Old Testament, there are some incredible things that happen later. Always start with the gospel. It is the clearest revelation of who God is. And that's what Peter does. So, what is the gospel? We talked about this last week. I'll just. These three R's have been uniquely helpful for me. That's why I'm trying to um, help us along. First of all, there's rescue. There is a rescue plan. It's important to say that because today, in our day and our age, if you will, um, the, the whole idea of rescue, uh, people think about it, is very, very different. Jesus, in verse 38, this is how Peter describes rescue. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil uh, for God was with him. God looked out on the world. He saw the brokenness of the world. He looked out on the people and he saw the brokenness of the people. He saw oppressors and oppressed. He saw um, uh, folks who were winning and folks who were losing. He saw those who were uh, uh, making victims and those who were victims. He saw all of those and he said, man, there is a rescue mission needed. Clear the way. Let's make this thing happen. He saw that there was brokenness and jacked upness in the world and that people were indeed oppressed by the devil. And so he goes about doing good. He sends Jesus to go about doing good and healing those who are oppressed by the devil. And then, thankfully, you and I, we get to be a part of that mission too. Who's down with me for that? Let's be a part of that. Okay, so there's a rescue mission. When we start with the gospel, we start with a rescue. And that's important to say also because those who are oppressed by the devil, they can't rescue themselves. Those who are broken in the ways that we're talking about here cannot rescue themselves. There's no last second field goal going to make this thing okay in the end. It's We need a rescue. Verse 39, And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as his witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So the next R, when we start with the gospel, it's a rescue mission first and foremost. How did Jesus go about doing that? Next R, resurrection. He died and he rose again. That's an important, that is the key piece. That is the key historical piece as well as the theological piece of this whole story is that God sent Jesus on a rescue mission and he didn't come riding in with a whole army uh, behind him to just wipe the place out. Instead, he came and he gave his life, the Bible says, as a ransom for many. He, He was resurrected after he died. Well, why in the world did he die? He died for your sin and for my sin. He died in my place, in your place. He was the one, the one who spoke the stars into being and created the world, now becomes the bearer of our sins on the cross. The very tree that he made was the very tree that he hung on. And so he becomes the ransom for you and for me. He becomes the payment for our sins. And God didn't leave him in the grave because God's not unjust like that. God says, hey, you will not, you're not you can't stay there you're up from the grave. He must come back, he must. He must. There's a resurrection. And because he has been resurrected, something pretty incredible happens. Verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people. Peter's talking here. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, Jesus, is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. So if you and I are to receive forgiveness, if you and I are to be made right with God, then something has to happen. A transaction has to happen. If you will, a shift in our allegiances has to happen. And we call that, the Bible word for that is repent. And there's a reason why this particular word is the verb, right? Um, Rescue is one thing. There's a rescue mission that happened. Resurrection is a declaration of what has happened. And repent is the call. It's the thing that you and I are now supposed to do. We're supposed to turn away from our sins and turn to Jesus in faith. And when we do, we receive forgiveness. Yes. And amen to that. And we have life and freedom in his name. Now, if our if, if our conversation, if our when we start with the gospel, if it doesn't sound like that, then we need to rethink this, right? I mean, this is an important piece, the important piece of how we communicate who God is and what he's like. Um, when we do this, just like Peter, it says here in verse 42, he commanded us to preach or to proclaim to the people and to testify. So you and I, we don't have to go around convincing people. Are you glad about that? Like we don't have to like you know, come here, or, or the, we don't have to bribe people. All we have to do is announce what we know is true. He uses a unique word to proclaim it. That's to speak it out loud, is one thing. And the next verb he uses is the word testify. He sent us to proclaim and to testify. Anybody been in court lately? But don't, don't actually, don't raise your hand. Don't do that. What do you do? Chin on the Bible. Raise your right hand. I solemnly swear what I'm about to tell is the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God, right? And so. That's the idea. There's a solemnity to the declaration. The proclamation is absolutely needed and valid, but there's a solemnity to it. There's a a gravity to it. Hey, we are testifying here. We're reporting. We're not just, uh, we're announcing, if you will. We're not just making this stuff up or trying to convince someone or or doing this for ratings or for likes or for clicks or whatever. We're testifying here. I solemnly swear. This is the kind of truth. So, I say that to say uh, for you and for me. Until the, until the gospel becomes real for us, for me personally, I don't know how useful I am in ministry globally. And so, some of us need to hear this word again. Some of us may need to rehearse the gospel to ourselves because we are under oppression, or we are under uh, we have experienced things, and or there have been other things that have kind of come down on us and happened to us. We may need to rehearse the gospel to ourselves. What does that look like? It may look like getting up and just reminding myself, hey, Jesus has come, he has rescued me. Um, Jesus has come and he has died and rose again for my sins and he commands me to repent. And when I do, he receives me um, into his kingdom. I am a child of God. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. Some of us may need to rehearse this to ourselves. And some of us, all of us, excuse me, not some of us, all of us, need to rehearse this, if you will, speak of this to others. In fact, one of the best ways to ingrain it in us is to teach it, right? Is to speak of it. How many of you have had that moment before where you're like, I actually understand this better now that I've taught it. Everybody had that before? So when we speak these things, when we say these things, when we um, share the gospel and encourage it, uh, excuse me, and encourage others to hear it and rehearse it, if you will, to others, we grasp it more when we teach it often. So start with the gospel. Start with the gospel. Next thing you have was pretty awesome, I think. This is, we, we covered a little bit of that last week, but we, it was important enough, is important enough for us to hit it again. Verse 44, it, the story just gets better. You ready? While Peter was still saying these things, so right in the middle of the sermon, can you believe this? I mean, crazy stuff happens right in the middle of the sermon. He didn't even get to his conclusion. His third point wasn't up on the screen yet. I mean, like there was nothing right in the middle of it. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Verse 45, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out Even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. It's that word again, extolling, giving praise to God. So there were were clear signs that good stuff was happening. So when the church was expanding and God kind of adding both texture and color um, to the church here, um, as the church was expanding, there were clear signs that this was happening and this was from God. This is not, nobody's faking it here. Nobody's making this up. Nobody's just choosing this. There are clear signs that this is from God. First clear sign is that the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. So I'm just backing up here. Peter's still speaking. He's still saying these things. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers who were from among the Jews, what was their, what was their reaction? Oh, my word. Goodness gracious. They interrupted the servant, right? No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit has fallen on the Gentiles. I was thinking this week about this, and it was almost, in my mind, I kind of had this picture as a second Pentecost, right? You got Peter preaching uh, in Acts chapter 2, if you're not familiar with the story, um, the the disciples are gathered in the upper room, and the Spirit comes rushing down like a wind, and there's tongues of fire, and they go out speaking in other languages, telling of the good works of God, and all these people come to know Jesus in that day, and in my mind, I kind of had it as this moment. And and then the the more you think about it, and the more I studied, and, and the more I read I just, I, this wasn't a second Pentecost. It was an inclusion of the Gentiles on the first Pentecost. That's the deal. This is not some special action on the, say, it's an inclusion to make sure that everybody gets this. That everybody gets this. When the Holy Spirit falls, He's falling on these folks too. That the gospel and the good news and the kingdom of God is for everyone, not just some. You've got this preaching, you've got these tongues and this this praise of God, you've got the Spirit falling, and what you have is this inclusion now of the Gentiles. Why is that important? We'll pick that up in just a second. but. It's an inclusion of the Gentiles, and I, I think if we could write, you know, this thing of when the Holy Spirit falls, what sign does that mean? I think just like here, they were amazed because the gift of the Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. They were hearing them speaking tongues. I think that's the sign that says, "Hey, this group of people has the approval of God." And the second sign followed. Peter declared, verse 47, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So you've got the Holy Spirit falling. That's kind of sign number one. Second sign was that two, these two powerful images. Spirit falls just like a Pentecost. So including the Gentiles in this movement of God. And secondly, baptism of believers. These believers were baptized Okay, and so what, if you've never seen uh, this before, many of you have, but just a uh, rehearsal of this, okay, um, we put people down into the water and bring them back up as a symbol, nothing magic about that moment, uh, but as a symbol of the reality that Jesus has gone down into the grave and he has come back from the, gra- uh, from the grave. He has died for our sins and he has risen to give us life and freedom. And so Peter looks out on this group and says, hey, all you people who just interrupted my sermon that the Holy Spirit has fallen, now you've got tongues just like we did. You need to be baptized. Why? Because there's something... The, uh, about that, about baptism that is a powerful image that says, hey, you have a place that you belong. Gentiles previously excluded from the people of God. Peter looks out and says, God included you. We, the church, will too. You need to be baptized. You have a place to belong. Put baptism, part of what baptism means. So in some sense... Um, You have the spirit falling being um, God's approval and the baptism of believers, if you will, in some sense, being the church's approval, this physical way to say that you belong. They weren't being baptized into Judaism. They were being baptized into Christianity. Why? Because what united them now was way more powerful than anything that separated them before. What united them now was far more powerful than anything that had separated them before. Chapter 11 now. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, remember, he stayed there for many days, uh, and now now he went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, let's pause right there, these are the folks who were Jewish Christians, um, but they were a whole lot of Jewish, right, and trying to work out this faith in Christianity. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. How dare you, Peter, step into a a place that would defile you? How dare you make yourself unclean by the way that you interacted with them? They can come to you, but you should not be going to them. They should come to you. You should not go to them. Does that sound the opposite of maybe some things that Jesus has said before? Like, leave the 99 and... Go out for the one. You don't look at the one and go, are you coming? Thankfully, he didn't do that to me or you. Peter began and explained it to them. And then I, the, the, uh, a good portion of the rest of uh, these verses here are the rehearsing of what Peter has said and done uh, when it comes to uh, uh, Joppa and, and Cornelius and stuff. And so I'm, I'm going to skip down a few verses and pick up in verse 12. Um, And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. Don't miss that. And these six brothers, Peter points, these six brothers accompanied me, and we entered this man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, He's relating this to these guys who are like, hey, I can't believe you defiled yourself. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as us at the beginning. Peter's response is, hey man, I'm up there talking and God did to them what he did to us. It wasn't like I just waved the wand. I didn't have a spell to make that happen. God just did it. Verse 16. And I remembered the word of the Lord. Yes, yes, yes. Let's be people who remember the word of the Lord. How he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift, excuse me, if God gave them, if God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The last little section, I want to just have a few minutes thinking about it. So why does it matter? Like, why, why it matters? And the, the reason why that's a present tense verb is because the question on the table, I think, for us is, why does it matter for us, and why does it matter today? Why does it matter here, among us, in our people? I uh, just a couple of things to rem- remember here. Number one, we need to remember that God is claiming for Himself a people. Not for—it's not us claiming a people. We're not going out and recruiting. It's not God claiming a people for us. It's God claiming for Himself a people. Why is that important? It is important because when we keep that in perspective, what, what, what that frees people up uh, from is that people do not need to become like me in order to become Christians. Very simple exercise. I'm in khaki pants and a button-up shirt. There are a few of you that fit that description, and the rest of you apparently are sinners. I've got one guy back here in shorts for the love. He's going to go teach Sunday school Here's the deal. You don't have to become like me in order to be a Christian. Of course you don't have to become. No, no. But I think in our minds sometimes we think they need to become like us in some manner before they become a Christian. People do not need to do that. God never wants people to look like me in order to be Christian. He makes them Christians so that they will begin to look like him. Romans 8 verse 29. Listen to this. For those whom he foreknew, that's a typo on my part, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, don't get lost in some of that, just check out this italics, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. What's the idea there? That God is bringing people into a relationship with him, making them followers of Jesus, Christians, not so that they can fit in any particular cultural moment or in any particular room in this building or any other building, but they would be conformed to the image of his son. God is claiming for himself a people. Jesus is a personal savior. Amen and amen. But he is not a partial savior. I see here that God shows no partiality. He's not just saving some. Anybody who comes to him. Anyone. It's all types, if you will, and all stripes. He is willing to save all of them and bring them to him. One more kind of theological underpinning of this goes something like this. It's important for us to remember that nobody in here deserves grace. Nobody merits God's mercy. Nobody. And so when we think about God is claiming for himself a people. Underneath that is all this section over here, they got mercy because God had mercy on them. And all you folks over there, you got mercy because God had mercy on you not because you were so awesome that you needed I mean that you deserved mercy God just did it and so he's claiming for himself a people drawing people into a relationship with him to make him, make those people like Jesus that's what he's doing he's claiming for himself a people now, earlier I mentioned uh, these, these folks back in verse um, 2, that Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, this, these Jewish Christians criticized them. You went to the uncircumcised men. You went to the Gentiles and you ate with them. Gentiles. This is uh, one way that um, Jewish, early Jewish literature uh, expressed who the Gentiles were. You ready? This is going to be fabulous. You ready? Gentiles are these folks, those lesser breeds without the law. Lesser breeds without the law. Now, there's two portions of that that really stick out in my mind. Number one, lesser breeds. Like there is a a kind of person that does not fully bear the image of God. They're a less than person. And then they're the kind of person who doesn't have the law. Therefore, they are a less qualified moral or spiritual person, right? So it's a claim over their humanity and it's a claim over their uh, 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 worth and value in God's eyes. Lesser breeds. Without the law. There's a physical claim about who they are as humans. And then there's a spiritual claim about who they are as as beings in this universe. Lesser breeds without the law. What jumped up on me as I sat with that was this question. Who is that for us today? Who is that? I come back to these three answers. These are three answers that I have just, we have worked and worked and worked on this, I think, as a church. In particular, in these past several months, I think God's been speaking to us about this because we've been preaching through the book of Acts. Who is that for us in our culture? Who does this, who do we have the opportunity or the temptation to see is Lesser breeds Without the Law? First one, based on race, Lesser breeds Without the Law those people over there, they're not looking like me, therefore, and oh, well, that's not really us. No, 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 no. Let's just call racism sin and then go to work and fighting it in our own hearts and in our church and then in society as God gives us opportunity. Why is that important? Number one, uh, to the glory of God, our church is becoming more and more diverse. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I really am. Um, Secondly, There are now kids here in our church family um, that are are not majority culture. Uh, They they are what what the culture would say is minority. And so where are they going to get good answers about how they relate to God and how they relate to those around them? Are they going to get it from the culture? No, absolutely not. Who has the best answer to that very difficult, complicated question? Jesus. So we need to be people who embrace that. And thirdly, there are parents in here who are raising kids of different races than, uh, than, than their own. And so where are they going to get good answers? It's not going to be from somebody out there, folks. The Bible is, the, one who's, or is the, the word of God to us about that. So when it comes to lesser breeds without the law, for you and for me to just say, oh, well, that's not a big deal for us. It is a big deal for us because it is to the glory of God. It is us. Race. Secondly, um, sexual struggles of all kinds, stripes, and, and problems. Right? Well, those people don't. Those people. Don't, I can't believe what. It's in us, I think, to see others as lesser, or to see people as without the law, and because of that, we sh- we could shun them. Um, and I just remind us: God is claiming for Himself a people. And everyone needs the gospel. Everybody needs the gospel. Uh, lastly, and, and I, I say this because uh, yesterday, after all the craziness, that was our day, and uh, finally got down to it, cracked open my laptop, looked at Facebook, and there were political posts all over the place. Polit- politics. I still think that we in Southern culture, in our world, still struggle with those who are politically different than us. We would almost say they are lesser breeds without the law. Nervous giggle is what that is. Who do you consider offensive? I think is the question. You would say Jesus, but don't they need to become like me? No, 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 Jesus. Jesus would say back, no, no, they need to become like me. That's what he says. Here here's the follow-up. Do we expect holiness to follow? I mean, like you talk about the gospel is for everybody. Well, what about those people who are different than us? who are acting like they don't have the law or acting contrary to the law do we expect holiness to follow and what's the answer to that absolutely can you turn your bibles to the right first corinthians chapter 6 last thing we need to say is in first corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 you ready first corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 question on the table is, do we expect holiness to follow? Answer, absolutely. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's just clear, right? I mean, God is not compromising his standard of holiness. Verse 11. Don't miss this. And such were past tense. And such were some of you, but you were washed, forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Amen to that. You were sanctified, made holy by his spirit indwelling you. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. So their story in Corinth could be your story. I was this, I was this, but now I am this instead. Oh man, collectively, we as a family, we really struggled with this, but now we, we were that, but now we are this. Now we are washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do we expect holiness to follow? Absolutely. Yes. We preach the gospel to everybody, and we believe that it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, and that God will change people's lives. No matter your problem, no matter your past, no matter your issue, no matter your baggage, no matter your choices, God will change your life if you turn your life over to him. And that then puts something on us as a church. And I described it this way, Peter's model, reaching out to the Gentiles to those lesser breeds without the law. You know who they are, right? Reaching out to the Gentiles without releasing the gospel. He's holding on tight to the good news of Jesus. but He is reaching out open-handed to say, oh, please come, please listen, please pay attention, please hear, please respond, please repent. He's telling us those things. We reach out without releasing the gospel. Question: Who is that for you? What does that mean for you this week? What changes in your conversation over lunch or over coffee or wherever this week because of that? Nobody merits mercy. Nobody deserves grace. But everyone needs the gospel. Let's pray. Um, so, Father, I'm asking now that you would appropriately, appropriately stir us up. Help us to think about friends and coworkers and neighbors and family members. Some may consider out of bounds, but you don't. You see them as that one sheep. And God, I pray that um, for us, if we're in here this morning and we need to soak in the good news of Jesus, uh, even as we sing here in just a second, that that news would be um, life giving water to us. And then, God, because you have made us who you have made us, you would send us out with that life-giving water to somebody else. Continue to minister here. Open up our hearts and give us application this week. Do that for Jesus' sake.